Welcome to Our Six Society, a podcast series where researchers from King's College London and people with lived experience explore together how social factors contribute to mental health problems. I'm Lavinia. I'm Charlotte. I'm Sally. And I'm Gemma. And we'll all be bringing you episodes. But we'll also have some guest presenters inviting people who tell us their stories to investigate the issues that they're interested in, as well as the ones that we think are important. We want to make you think and question society's role in mental health. What are the systems and the structures which mean some people are more likely to be mentally unwell than others? And crucially, what steps should society take from national government policies to local grassroots community organising? How can we cure our sick society? Hi, my name's Lavinia and welcome to Our Sick Society. I've been in recovery from alcohol dependence for over 10 years. And I'm interested in learning about how other people who are in recovery have been managing during the pandemic and lockdown. In this episode, I will be talking to Geraldine, who has been in recovery for 14 years. She tells me how things she has learned from attending AA meetings have helped her through these past few months. Formal treatment services are the first point where most people get help, but you only get a certain amount of support. And when that's over, you can feel you're on your own. That's where AA can help you move forward. So, welcome to Conversations with Lavinia, Lockdown and Recovery. Are you okay? So hi, Geraldine. Can you tell me about your recovery journey? How long have you been sober and your method of recovery? Do you, do you want me to tell you a bit about my, my story, sort of like... Yeah, please. When I went into Ward 15, I still had my husband and my kids. I came out again and I drank again and then I lost it all. But um, I do believe today that I had that was my journey and I had to go down that road or I wouldn't have got up of my backside and sorted myself out, basically. Got the kids back. Didn't get the husband back, but you know what? That was that's just that was meant to be. Um, AA have to say was biggest part of my recovery. Um, this from the pandemic is the longest I haven't been to AA in my whole 14, 15 years going. Um, and I really do miss it. Uh, I went. I go at least three times a week, and I've always done it. Always done it. Because, you know, AA for me just worked, got me talking to people, got me, giving me something to do. But, you know, I, I ended up, I have my kids back and they're, they're growing up now. They're 23 and 21. But I also had a wee boy in AA, AA baby as they call it. And again, that, that relationship didn't work out. But I was only, I was two years sober when that, when that happened. And Jake came along and I honestly do believe that child was meant to be like as much as it was hard on my own and things like that, but that that child's kept me sober and like he's 12 now. And as I say, I'm on my own with him, but it's great, you know, that I can't rave enough about AA because that's, I wouldn't be here today without it and the people in it. Um, I have my own me group up in Newcastle and that's my group and that's where I would go all the time Um, and they have been closed now. 
we can't open up because it's quite a small room and it's too impact and there's no ventilation and stuff like that. So as I say in the whole, I'm really missing the AA meetings. We do do them online and online's fine, but I, to me, it's not the same. I prefer the face-to-face contact. You know, I have a few friends in AA and I'm I'd be in contact with them weekly and stuff. And that's the big part of my recovery. And actually that, I've had a death in the um, epidemic. My uncle died, and that was my uncle who reared me. Um, and I'm now living back home where I was brought up. So it's like bittersweet. I'm back home again, and the boys are all with me. And for the first time, 15 years ago this Christmas, I done my last Christmas dinner, and I was drinking. And it was obviously eventful, I would say. <laughs> is the word for it. I don't remember a lot about it, but I'm actually making Christmas dinner for the first time. You know, there, there's so many similarities with, with your journey that I could definitely identify with. For me, recovery has been predominantly AA as well. Without those meetings, there's absolutely no way I could have stayed sober because yeah. the treatment services, you know, although they, they definitely helped me, but that structure... You know, I think you're only allowed a certain amount of, of you know, um, appointments with the workers and then you're kind of on your own. Whereas the AA, you know, that kind of stepped in and that, that was the rest, that was everything else that I needed. Yeah. And then just as you were saying, you know, you did the three meetings a week. I think for myself, I really agree with, with having that structure as well. It gave me something to do. You know, being a daily drinker, I couldn't sit in my house by myself you know, every single day without knowing what I was doing. So the structure, I think, helped. And again, also the recovery babies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I know that i done probably the wrong thing. I met up with somebody in AA and didn't listen to what they told me. Take a few years to recover, blah, blah. Um, I ended up with this fella and I ended up getting pregnant with the child and we finished before I even had the had the wee man um and he then he wasn't part of the child's life and you know within the last year actually he um he died and he died not known as wee boy and like Jake's a very sentimental wee boy and it broke his heart even though he never knew him but I had to tell him because he was always asking about him and hoping I think one day that he might come and look for him. And so I had to tell the child. And that was a big, big thing for me. Because um, I lost both my parents when I was young. Um, and I, for me, I believe that was a good part of my drinking. I lost a lot of people um, when we were there. Then with my, my aunt and uncle who reared us, they had six of their own and took me and my sister in. So there was eight. But two of them were killed in car accidents and stuff. So I... You know the way to say there's a reason why you drink. You know. And I believe for me it's because of all the deaths and stuff. And that was my way of dealing with it. I was one of these. I couldn't, I never would have showed emotion. It was, you know, just party and get on with it. And that's just how I was. Where today it's totally different. I can show emotion and I'm not afraid to. It doesn't bother me if people see me crying. It's just part of recovery, I think. For I do believe that's why I drank because of all the deaths and the loss and I never knew my parents and 
things like that. So that there with my wee boy was a big thing. And he just broke his heart, you know, and he still would now. He still asks about him and do I miss him and things like this, you know. And you have to say yes because he's your son and you have to talk in his language. He's only 12, you know. Um, But yes, without AA, I, I would have a healthy fear of drinking. I would be terrified of lifting it again. So I do protect what, what I have with, it has to come first before anything, you know. And my family now realise that. And even doing that Christmas dinner this year, that is a big, big thing for me. And I'm quite nervous about doing it. I couldn't have done that a few years ago. I literally couldn't have done it. I couldn't have coped with that. Couldn't have coped with doing the dinner. And, you know, them coming over and maybe having a drink or whatever. And at the end of the day, they're not the ones with the problem, you know. And you can't stop other people getting on with their life. But they would not have felt comfortable coming to my house. And drinking. So can I ask, recovery, you know, AA. The things that you're saying that you couldn't have done before, do, would you consider that, you know, what you've gained from attending AA? Absolutely. You know, what did you do the steps and the sponsor? And Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, I've done them, yes, and I do. Well, I believe you're, you're doing the steps every day. And even by doing the likes of this here, to me, that would be part of your steps. Absolutely. Because if one person maybe, I don't know, listening to this and maybe gets a bit of hope from it or... Because that's how it worked for me. I've seen people and people who were off drink a long time and, you know, how are they doing that? They're like, that's just a miracle. And um, So, yes, AA, absolutely, 100%. I would not be sober today without it, no doubt. I think for me you know really throwing yourself into something like AA doing the steps having the sponsor you know the whole process I think that's what really has been magical for me you know and that's enabled me throughout this lockdown to be able to continue you know being able to share and you know just the whole process of what we learn so now that we're in this pandemic and not able to get to -to face-to-face meetings what's the journey like for you at the moment? You know, what's keeping you sober? Well, because I've, as I say, I've moved house and I'm now living beside one of my sisters and big part of my day every day, me and her go out for a long walk. I've started doing that within the last year and I wouldn't have done that before. Um, But now that's a big part of my every day. I go for a walk. I do go to, it's a place um, where you go and you do different courses and stuff people with like mental health problems and I had been out of work for a long time so I'd lost all my confidence and that I've been going there for the last two and a half years now and that's like confidence building, dealing with anxiety, you know, just trying to live in an everyday life. I'm doing exams, social and health care. I've done so many courses. I think I've got maybe 12, 13 certificates out of it. I Before this here happened, I was doing um, befriending, they called it. So you went they, it's through the trust over here. It's voluntary, like, but you went one day a week and talked to, mine was a wee woman who was 89, and you spent an hour and a half with her one day a week. And I really enjoyed, I loved going up there. Um, and that has been stopped at the minute because of this. So I'm hoping that will start again. Um, because I'm not I need to be out and about and doing stuff I have to be busy and 
you know, I go to my way, another wee aunt who actually took me in where I had nowhere to go. They took me in and I lived with them for about four or five months. So I would go down to her one day a week and clean for her as well. So I, to me, you have to have structure in your day. I'm, I'm not a sit about person. I have to be busy. And eventually I would like to be going back out again, get myself a wee job and get back into the real world again. I know it took me a wee while to, you know, to get to this stage, but that was my journey. I just wasn't ready until, you know, until I was ready. You know, that, that reminds me of, of the saying in AA, you know, the, the promises. And this yeah. I really hang on to, you know, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. Yeah. So I think that's most important. But I was slowly. Yeah. Uh, me too. Me too. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, no. So... Just bringing it back to the recovery, the the support, the meetings. So not doing face-to-face meetings. Are you doing the online ones? And is there any other channels that you're, you know, any other resources that you're plugging into? Yes, I would do, our our group would do uh, some meetings. As I, I do go on to them every now and again. I'm just, I wouldn't be as keen as the face-to-face, to be honest. I don't know why. I just... They're okay, and I do do them because I need that contact with AA people, but I probably don't do them as often as I should be doing them. But I just prefer the face-to-face. I have a few good friends who I phone and I can trust for my life, um, and I found one of them in AA, and just me and her can just, I can tell her anything. You know, I can phone her every day if I need to phone her every day and vice versa. And a few other ones as well, and we do keep in contact. But I just can't wait for the meeting to open up again, to be honest. I really can't look. I think this is the absolute beauty of AA, that, you know, you come together, you come there as a stranger, and they become family. Yeah. Before that, I would have never hugged people. And that was absolutely the thing, you know, they always wanted to hug. And I actually miss that now. Do you find that? I miss that too. I, I'm a huggy person as well. I never was before. <laughs> Absolutely. The first time somebody hugged me in AA, I was like, you know, what is this? I was, yeah. <laughs> Hugging you and offering you tea and biscuits. And you, you, you wouldn't have got that when you were drinking. Like, absolutely not. Nobody would have wanted to. No. But no, I miss the hugging. I miss it too. I really do. So that, um, like, one of the questions that I was going to ask was about you know, the barriers and the differences with doing recovery this way. You know, in lockdown, we're not allowed to do any of the face-to-face and we're kind of at home. And so you've answered some of that, you know, saying that you prefer the face-to-face. So I want to think about people that, you know, people that that maybe have less sobriety, because there's a couple of things that I want to explore. So people that have, because I have a, a friend she wasn't so long in, you know, her, her recovery was literally, you know, months before this lockdown. Yeah. You know, I, I saw her regularly, but yeah. She fell off and is no more in recovery. And again, it was because the lack of meetings, you know, what she was doing before this is she'd been going to meetings and it was working for her. She was looking healthy, you know, she sounded positive. And for the first few weeks of lockdown, you know, I, I'd see her out the window and, you know, she was doing great. 
And now we're we're just about on the other side of of um, this lockdown, and she's fallen off. So I want to think about people like that, you know, p- people that maybe do not have so you know so much time behind them. Yeah, my heart goes out to people like that. My heart yeah. breaks for them because I, for the first two years in AA, I went to meetings every day and every night for the first two years because I needed them like and I thought this is awful for people who have just come about and I like yourself I've heard of so many that are just back out again yeah it's heartbreaking for them like it really is I mean, just where I live, I, 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 I'm, I'm seeing it before my very eyes, you know, before lockdown, you're seeing how people was, you know, they were doing the meetings, because as I say, I'm very open about recovery, but then, you know, I, I'm witnessing people of, of you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I really wanted to think about those people as well and just, you know, suggestions and, and really just discuss barriers to accessing the online support, the the Zooms. Yes, I yeah, absolutely. Um, and I know ones that love the Zoom meetings who weren't long about, and it has worked for them. But then you know, there's a lot of people out there don't have internet, mm. and they don't have the money for to do maybe that. There, um, it's fine if you have, you can afford it, and that. But there's so many, especially if you were in the the midst of your drinking, like. And this is the thing, I think people, we, we take it for granted that everybody will have access. And I mean, I yep. know it's 2020, but there are still so many people that do not have access to, to Wi-Fi or broadband and, you know, the, the whole Zoom setup. Yep. And I also know ones that are, they're afraid of Zoom because they're, they're what they're saying is you don't know who's on Zoom. Anybody can log in from anywhere. Or if you're in a meeting, you get to know people more and you build a wee bit of trust up. So, yes, Zoom for not for everybody, but I would absolutely recommend it for people because it is better than nothing. Yeah, it is absolutely better than nothing. nothing Yeah, 100%. And there's nothing wrong with it. But when you come about at the start, I think you think everybody is your friend and you feel you, you tell them everything. And unfortunately, you you learn the hard way, hmm. you know, that everybody isn't your friend and you don't share everything. But it takes you to be around a while for to get to know that too, because you do believe everybody is your best friend. And unfortunately, there's there's good and bad, but you get that everywhere. That's just life. See, somebody told me a story or there was a saying in recovery because I was a bit trusting you know suddenly everybody wants to hug and give you the tea and biscuits and you know they're showing love and you know somebody said to me a bank robber is always going to be a bank robber in AA they may be a sober bank robber but they're still yeah you know so I think that that definitely describes that very well absolutely so do you see were there any pros to to this kind of um new way of doing recovery i mean for me there's been a few so i just want to know for other people are they experiencing yeah well the 
the way it was, like my boys were actually off work for a long time at the start. And I thought this is just going to be awful, like all of us in the house. And they're basically men now, you know. But honestly, it was was lovely. It was nice to spend that time with them because they're doing their own thing. They don't want to sit down with their mother and do you know what I mean? And even it was lovely to spend time with them. And I, I'm very open about my drinking with them. They know it all. Jake, my 12-year-old, hasn't, as yet, hasn't a clue that I am an alcoholic. He just has never known me to drink and it's no big deal to him. Now, there will be a time that child probably will ask me, why do you not drink, mommy? And I will tell him, but just at the minute, there's no point in me telling him. if he, It's no big deal to him because he doesn't know any different. He doesn't see me as different to anybody else. He just sees me that I've never drank and that's, it's, he's never questioned it. Never questioned it. But yes, this, with this, it was lovely to spend time at home with the boys. And as I say, they live with me now. And the good thing is they're not bringing people to the house at the minute, but they were able to do that there. They're not ashamed of me. They're not embarrassed by me. And to me, that's just absolutely priceless. Like, um, And that's recovery, you know. They've got girlfriends and they're not embarrassed by me. And you know what? I talk openly to them about my recovery. They're girlfriends. One of the girlfriends, actually, her daddy works in addictions. So I haven't met the man yet. And I don't know whether I could have run into him somewhere along the line because he works in where I went for my four weeks holidays. He worked in that in that field. Um but I, it would have been a stage I would have been embarrassed to say things like that. But no, yeah. I'm not anymore. Like, you know, to me, you should be, you're doing something about yourself and you're trying and it's part of my life. See, this is, this is the beauty of, of AI. I think it takes off where the treatment services leave you. you yeah. Know, it gives you that, that it builds up on, on, on what, the, you know, the recovery that you get from going to the services. Being able to have open conversations. I mean, you know, just back to what you were saying about the pandemic at the beginning. Oh, my God, I panicked. I thought, how am I going to be in the house with my family, with the mister? And I'm not going to be able to run out to meetings if they drive yeah. me up the walk. Because the, the way I am sometimes, if something really happens and I need to, to, to connect with other people, there are so many meetings where I live at any of the ends of my roads. There's meetings, 10-minute walking distance at the end of the road, you know? Well, that's brilliant. That's your lucky. Honestly, do you know what? We are quite lucky here in London. There are so, so many meetings. And this is what I'm used to. You know, I'm used to, to being able to, to, you know, run down the road and go to a meeting. So when they announced this lockdown, I panicked thinking, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And then... As we kind of got used to this this thing, what I would start doing then is I would go in the bath and do a meeting in the bath when it got too much. So yeah. I would take my phone and go in the bath and jump on a Zoom or, you know, go on to one of the... There's a few online um, platforms as well where you can... They've, they've literally got meetings running 24 hours a day. But again, it's all online. Yeah. So I feel so... I really feel, you know, quite grateful to be able to tap into that. Yeah. You know, so it is a shame that there are some that haven't. 
But one of the, I will say one of the positive, one of the benefits that I got from this was not having to find childcare. Yes, that's the easy part. Yeah, absolutely. I, I miss, much like you, I miss the face to face. You know, I miss the connection. I even miss the biscuits, you know, the biscuits, yes. the tea, and I miss all that. But one thing that I did find difficult was some of the meetings, the room, like you described, the rooms are quite small for some of them. Yeah. And then I've got two, two my recovery babies, I've got two, a six-year-old yeah. and a three-year-old, to keep them still in a room when there's people talking. <laughs> <laughs> quite difficult and in some of the meetings you know you, you you feel like you're you're you know you're you're interrupting you're bothering people and so yeah. there was some I started to cut down on some of my meetings or you know I'd be a bit picky about which ones I could take my children to or I'd have to find childcare. and so for me that has been one of the the the, the pros some of the meetings over there you can actually bring your kids yeah do you know what there was there's women one so a wednesday night that was my must wednesday night women's one i love that because even when the children were running around and disturbing everybody they were all mums and they were quite happy to to help me out with the children we know we've nothing like that here nothing like that oh, wow no so maybe that's something to think about starting yeah because when I was there and, you know, I was lucky for a while because the boys weren't with me. So I was able to go to meetings. But a lot of people find that hard because not everybody was going to babysit and the hassle of getting them looked after. And I can't think of any like that over here. Look. So, again, that, that kind of just shows that, you know, there are pros and cons to this new way of doing things. But, I mean, again, it, it kind of highlights to me that, what may be the norm for, for us here in London is not where you are. So maybe maybe after all this, you know, when all this is over, maybe that's something for you to do. Set your, your local women one up. When you come about at the start and then you feel guilty about even when you do have your kids, leaving them. But then I did learn that, no, you know, if you're not sober, you'll not have your kids. So you have to put it before them absolutely you know my family find that hard for a while to you know what do you mean aa comes before your children i but if i don't have aa i don't have my kids because i won't be here exactly exactly that the fear in me i know if i drank again i wouldn't get a week i would be gone i would be and that scares the life out of me still like terrifies me but it's a healthy fear that's a healthy fear you know i i i worried about this fear once upon a time I thought I don't want to be scared of things but then you know what I think you've said it perfectly a healthy fear because I also know that if I drank again I'd probably not only take off where I left it I'd be 10 times worse Worst, you know there's yeah. more there's more for me to access now so yeah yep. it's a very healthy fear yeah absolutely so is there any point of this pandemic that you really you know you, you you really worried or, or you know were concerned about your recovery no I wasn't um okay be I you know as I say that fear is always in the back of my head but no because I did keep in contact with people um I kept talking because I was always always told talk it out or drink it out so I just go for that one talk it out that's better so that network it sounds to me like the network is really one of the most important things yeah 
I I like talking. I do like talking. Um, and I would be, as I say, I would be. I would talk about emotions and all now. And I sometimes my boys just look at me like, <laughs> what is she going to come out with? You know, I'm not afraid to say things anymore. Um, I've actually, I would say, out of this is another part of what I've grown over the last maybe year. I've got stronger and I'm standing up for myself more. I'm not letting people walk over me. That's part of recovery for me. I've got stronger as a person. I think when we, when you know, when you were drinking, you done everything to please everybody so that they would give you peace and just let you drink. Where I've got harder that, I don't mean harder, but I stand up for myself now. I used to be, ask Geraldine, she'll do it. Like she'll do everything and anything for everybody. And I still do to a certain extent. But there's sometimes you can't do something and I can say that today where I wouldn't have been able to do that. I would have just done anything and everything for everybody. Like, just so that it would leave me alone and let me drink. Like. But uh, thank God that's not like that today. Um, I do feel stronger as a person within the last couple of years. As I say, I was a slow burner. But then that was my journey, I think, just. And I am who I am. I'm the person I, I think I am who I should have been all my life today. And I'm actually turning um, 50 now in January and I hate the thought of it like I hate the thought of becoming 50 but at the same time I am so grateful to be sober. So as we wrap it up you know what I really appreciate you coming on and speaking with me because I do believe that this is a massive part of working the steps you know is being able to impact others with our experience. So as we wrap this up, I'm just wondering, is there anything you would like, because the audience for this podcast is going to be quite a mixture. So we've got the academics, you know, we've got the researchers that are going to be, you know, watching this. We've got lay people like me and you, you know, who I'd, I'd hope would be encouraged to dig into the resources that are available. So do you have any suggestions or anything that you'd like to su- yeah, anything you'd like to say, any message. You know, how can they tighten this up? How can they make this better? <laughs> I don't know. Just find somebody you can trust and open up. I, I think you do have to open up and you do have to be 100% honest to get recovery. Um, and it takes a wee while at the start because you're afraid of saying something that, God, I'm the only person that's done this. And the reality is everybody else has done everything that you have done do you know See, that, that that's the whole stigma again isn't it you know it is everybody has done i don't think anybody has done anything that you haven't done and that's just how it just for me I, just be honest i think and find somebody you can trust and talk to i don't know if i've made any sense to you or not you've made but... perfect sense do you know what this has been an absolute i love this thank you so much Yes, it was lovely to talk to you as well. Um, so I just hope somebody gets something out of it. Do you know, just the fact that you've been willing to, to share and be honest with, you know, I, I appreciate that. People are always going to be able to learn. So we've got academics in the room here, even though they've blanked out their cameras, you know. And yeah. this is the side of recovery that a questionnaire doesn't quite touch. Because if somebody asks you questions, you, you're free to... Um, to say what to, to reply however you want you never really yeah, get yeah. that that gritty you know rawness thank you 
Oh, thank you so much, Geraldine. Thank you very much for sharing with us. And thank you to the audience for plugging in and for listening. You've been listening to Our Sick Society. The presenter was Lavinia Black. Production support was provided by Verity Buckley. The producer was Body Peace. Our Sick Society is funded by King's College London ESRC Impact Acceleration Account.